If you would, please get your Bibles out and turn with me to Psalm 1. Psalm 1, this will be our text of consideration tonight. I'm going to try to take Mitch's advice, put my water on the book, but over here. I want to say good evening to each one of you that's made efforts to be here with us tonight. I hope today has been a wonderful day for each one of you. It's been a day of uplifting, edifying, strengthening all together as fellow Christians. This sermon tonight is possibly my favorite sermon that I've ever written so far. may not be my best sermon, but my favorite sermon that I have written so far because it truly is a mirror for us to look into and examine ourselves. And I pray each one of us here tonight will be humble enough to look into this mirror, examine our life. We may not like exactly what we see and feel the need to make correction, and I plead with you to do that. If you will, leave your Bibles open to Psalm 1, and as we read and study through this text, we will constantly reference back to it. Beginning in verse 1, I'm reading from the King, New King James tonight. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the path of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit in his season." whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. In Psalm 1, what we find made so evidently and abundantly clear is the reality that there are just two types of people. There are two paths, there are two lives, there are two eternal destinies. Now in this passage of Scripture we see the greatest contrast of these two types of people that could ever possibly be made. The only two types of people that there are in this world. You and I will often distinguish between people based upon many things, next to anything. We will distinguish between people based upon their race or their status in this world. Whether or not that person is an American or foreigner. Whether or not they're rich or poor, educated, uneducated. We will say that there are any number of different types of people. Possibly 10 or 20 or 100, however many differences we can think of, so are there different types of people in the world. But on the day of judgment, that will not be the case. When we all stand before the throne of God, He will only see two types of people before Him and in His presence, such as we see here in Psalm 1, this blessed man and this cursed man. Now as we study through these verses this evening and this distinction is more and more clear, we will see things like this tree and this chaff. We will see the fruit of this tree and the barrenness of that chaff. We will see the one that is planted by rivers or streams of flowing water and this other one that just simply exists in the world of a dry and deserted desert place. 
the two ends of the spectrum that we find, that we see in Psalm 1 tonight, they cannot possibly be ignored. Now Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, I believe, are distinctly placed at the beginning of this book, not because they're the first two psalms written. Psalm 90, a psalm of Moses, would be the first written. But these passages are placed here and they act as a constant reminder every time that we open this book, we're confronted by these daunting realities. You see, whether or not we are out in the world or we are in here on these pews tonight, the reality is the same. There can only be two types of people here tonight and in this world. These two psalms, they're tied together like bookends. We see Psalm 2 verse 12 echoing Psalm 1 verse 1. These two psalms should not be considered separately but in the greater context together because the writer here we see him pleading for those to come and to kiss the Son and he declares that the blessed are those who put their trust in him. So as we enter into the book of Psalms, we must pass by these two wonderful passages of scriptures that each one of us can take so much from as we go through our lives. Every time we open this book, we're confronted by these truths. Now, Psalm 1 can be simply separated into two stanzas. When we look at it, we see verses 1 to 3 is the first stanza, and verses 4 to 6 is the second stanza. We see in verses 1 to 3 this blessed man, and verses 4 to 6 this cursed man. There again could not possibly be a, con a stronger contrast or distinction made between these other than that which we see here in Psalm 1. Now in Psalm 1, verse 1, we're introduced to this blessed man. And as we examine this text tonight, I want us to all understand that if we're truly disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, the description that is given us here in Psalm 1 will be a description of our very own lives. The things that we see in this passage, brethren, are not true just for a few people or for a few Christians, but it is true for every person and for every Christian, this passage should describe every last one of us, and it will to one degree or the other. Now, beginning in verse 1, blessed is the man. It is extremely important for each one of us here tonight to truly understand, to truly grasp the blessedness of this man in verse 1. That word blessed is describing the, the constant and the continuous state of this man, and it it is denoting a, a very deep-seated joy that is continually experienced. It's an overwhelming sense of pleasure and happiness that this man, this blessed man, he enjoys and he does so vibrantly in God. This man and all that he is, all that he ever will be, is completely and utterly satisfied with God. All of his deepest joys, his happiness, are all in the Lord Jesus Christ. And tonight, as we look at this passage and we examine ourselves, we must begin to ask, does this describe me? Does this describe you? Please note that the blessedness of this man in verse 1 is not 
in the world. It is not in the things that the world has to offer him. His blessedness has nothing to do with whether or not he is rich in this world with materialistic things. Nothing. But this continuous satisfaction of this blessed man... It's, it's not subject to how well he's doing in his job or in his career, whether or not he has a nice house or a fast car. It has nothing to do with any of these things. But the blessedness here is solely dependent upon God. This extreme happiness, and I use that word extreme because that is what is being described here of this man. It is not determined by our circumstances. Every day when we wake up, we want our circumstances to determine our happiness. That is human. But it's wrong. It cannot be, this happiness cannot be determined by our circumstances. It cannot be determined by what's going on in our lives. It cannot be governed by the state of a nation in the midst of turmoil. But this blessedness that is spoken of here in verse 1, it it flows down from the throne of God. It's like mighty rivers that are just pouring into the depth of our souls. I can hear the prophet Habakkuk in chapter 3, verse 18, crying out, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. It's not to say that as Christians we will not experience hardship or or have difficulty in our lives, that we will not have sorrow when we lose those that we love. But it is to say that when life begins to fall down around us, when the storms of life begin to rock the boat so violently, God is still the one who fills our cup with blessings and it continually overflows. Continually overflows. Tonight, you must ask yourself, is your happiness and joy in the Lord? Is God your constant and utter satisfaction? Because these are the marks of a blessed man in Psalm 1 verse 1. We need to notice also that this blessed man is very clearly separated from the evils in this world. Understand that this passage is not calling us to live a life of monastery far away in a mountain somewhere, totally separate and apart from society. In fact, the Great Commission demands the absolute opposite from us. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, it sends us forward into the world to go and share that good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, with all of those that were mentioned in verse 1. It demands that we go and we plea with them, we beg with them to repent and to turn from the evil world system, to cast those things off, begging with them like the psalmist in chapter 2, verse 12, to come and to kiss the Son. This particular part of this blessed man's character is put right out front. For us all to see that he walketh not after the evils of this world. I'll say that again. This blessed man walketh not after the evils of this world. As blessed men or women in God, we are completely filled by him. We're filled by his greatness. 
You see, we lack nothing because God has provided all things. We want nothing from this world because God has satisfied our every desire and craving. And then we can say, therefore, to the evil and wicked counsel of the world, depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Psalms 119, 115. We are constantly, constantly hearing the wicked counsel of the world. Telling us many things. Telling us things every day. For example, telling us to cheat on our taxes so that we will just make more money. Or or, or don't preach the gospel, that offensive gospel, because we don't want you to offend anybody. Or possibly the world's favorite. Just go ahead and, and satisfy your sexual desires and your lust. Just go ahead and satisfy your flesh. This is the counsel of ungodliness. This is what it sounds like. This is what it looks like. And that list goes on. But when we walk in their ways, it will lead us down paths of sin. It will lead us down paths of sin. This blessed man, in Psalm 1 verse 1, he understands that he cannot in any fashion be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. As Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 to 18. Paul asks two questions. In verse 14, he says, For what fellowship does righteousness have with unrighteousness? He says, What communion does light have with darkness? And these questions are rhetorical, and the answer to both of them is the same. Absolutely nothing at all. Unrighteousness is the negative of everything that is righteous, as well as light and darkness. They cannot exist together. This morning, if you watched the sun rise, you noticed that the darkness was sent away. It could not possibly be with the light, because there is no commonality. There is no communion. And this blessed man cannot be yoked together with unrighteousness, are you listening, while keeping the commandments of the Lord. He cannot walk after or seek the counsel of this world while being completely in all things satisfied with God Almighty. He cannot do it. It cannot be done. Notice verse 1. The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. As we go to work and we go to school while we're out rubbing elbows with people in this world, brethren, we must be aware of what we allow to pass before our eyes and enter in through our ears. What enters into our ears and passes before our eyes undoubtedly will influence us. We will be influenced by these things. And far too often... Will Christians try and see just how close to the fire they can possibly get just before they're burned? This is why Paul bids us this warning in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, Be not deceived. Way too often we are. Evil communication corrupts good manners. Paul is clear in this text. He is crystal clear. He is as clear as he could possibly be. Do not think that we can walk in their counsel and not be influenced in their ways. We cannot do it. We must do as Solomon instructed us in Proverbs chapter 4, verses 14 to 15, and I'm paraphrasing. We cannot enter into the path of the wicked, nor should we go, excuse me, in the way of evil men, but avoid it 
Pass by it, turn from it in every way. Turn from it in every way. The ungodly will not rest there. That's why we have to constantly be turning from these things. They will not rest there. You see, once they have casted off the fear of God, and once they have allowed the world to become their counselor, once they have lived in neglect against the Most High, when they have laid aside their reasonable service to God, they set down their religion and they took up their sin as trade, then they have begun their walk in the way of sinners. They begin to participate in their evil activities. They begin to break out into open rebellion against God, entering into the service of Satan. And I know some will say, Neil, don't you think that's a little bit harsh? Absolutely not. If we're not serving the Prince of Peace, we are serving the Prince of Darkness. And if we are not, as we go and we continue down this path and this road of sin and service to darkness, and our heart becomes calloused, it becomes hardened, Thus the way of iniquity is downhill. It is a downward spiral that we get sucked into and the bad grows worse. Then sinners themselves become tempters and and advocates for sin and for the kingdom of darkness. And, And as the conscience of man is not listened to, but it's simply just seared over with a hot iron, then at length, after a while, they will become scoffers. What a terrible sight. They have arrived at the valley of their fall. They have taken their seat at the table of the scornful. They have set their mouths against the heavens. They begin to ridicule all that is holy, mocking all that is sacred. They have finally reached the height of ice. And this blessed man here in verse 1 understands that he must keep a safe distance from these things. He understands the importance of guarding his heart against what comes before his eyes and enters in through his ears because those things will soon be what drives the man. So what can we say about this blessed man? And I want us to make this personal. Rather, what can we say about you and about me? We need to examine ourselves tonight. Look into this mirror. We should be completely satisfied with God. We should be completely separate and apart from the evil world system which God hates. Because this is what it means to be the church of Christ. That word church, ecclesia, means the called out. Well, called out from what? Called out from the world to come and serve Jesus Christ. To be the people of God. Therefore, the third and very distinctive part of this man's character is found in verse 2. This blessed man is completely saturated, completely saturated with the Word of God. Please notice that word, but, here in the beginning of verse 2. This is a very simple word, but a very powerful word at the beginning of this verse, because it it strongly separates this blessed man from those that were mentioned in verse 1. It is showing us, the reader, the audience, that this blessed man has different loves. He has different affections. 
He has different desires and satisfactions. They're completely different from that of the ungodly. He's on a completely different path. He has different cravings. This blessed man has a totally different worldview. While the ungodly delight in the world and in the things that the world offers to the ungodly, this blessed man has a completely different delight. And what is being implied here in verse 2 is what took place in Ezekiel chapter 36. It's what has taken place with this blessed man. That God has removed from him this hardened heart, this heart that would not hear the word of God, this heart that would not render obedience unto his will. God has taken that from him. He's removed it, and he has placed within this blessed man a new heart, a heart of flesh, a heart that in Ezekiel 36 and 27 says, will cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments. It's a heart that hears the word of God and submits to it in every way. With this new heart comes new appetites. He no longer hungers and thirsts for unrighteousness, but now this man hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Behold, old things have passed away. This blessed man now has a new heart, and this new heart now thirsts for that river of flowing water, which is the Word of God. He once would have asked, when will the preacher stop talking? But now, this blessed man is overwhelmed with much joy and happiness at the, the preaching and the teaching of God's Word. He takes delight in it. And I want you to notice also that his delight is in the law of the Lord. It is. Not, not was, not will be, but it is in the law of the Lord. Notice that word and, that conjunction that joins these two thoughts together. He that delights in the law of God will also meditate upon it day and night. He who delights in the law of God will meditate upon it day and night. He will ponder the Scriptures. He will turn them over and over again in his mind, desiring to draw out every single last drop of nutrients from the Scriptures in which he's been pondering on, in which he's been meditating on. We certainly know that this kind of thinking, this kind of pondering of the Scriptures is to be a continuous and ongoing part of daily life because of these three words at the end of verse 2, day and night. We know what that means. That's a metaphor to simply say all day, every day. That this blessed man or this blessed woman of God, our thoughts will be fixed upon Him. It will be fixed upon His divine Word. And we should go through our day meditating upon His law, chewing it over and over again. Now I want us to notice how verses 1 and 2 have just flown into verse 3. That all of verses 1 and 2, they have led us to the product that is shown to us in verse 3. This simile that is being used of this blessed man who is likened unto this tree that is planted by rivers of water, it's suggesting a few things. First of all, dead, dried up, Lifeless trees do not transplant themselves by rivers of flowing water. What we see in the beginning of verse 3 is the hand of God in the salvation of this blessed man. 
that God so by His mercy has brought us out of that dry and deserted desert place where there is no nourishment, where there is no strength, where there is no hope at all. And He has transplanted us by these streams of mighty rivers where now this blessed man has an abundance of all that he could possibly ever need. And I want you to notice that that word rivers rendered here in the plural, betraying to us this idea that there is an unimaginable source of water for this little tree. I want you to try and imagine yourself extremely, extremely desperate to fill up an empty bottle of water. And you go to a large body of water to do that. And you you so desperately need to do this. You have to. You need to. So is the word rivers here used in this verse to render to us the idea that God's abundant supply will always far exceed and outweigh any and all of our needs in this life. You know good and well you can fill up that bottle of water. God will always have enough for whatever it is that you need. We also see that this blessed man here who is likened unto a tree that will bring forth fruit in its season. As to say that this man who is saturated in the Word of God will bring forth fruit in his life despite whatever difficulties he might face. Fruit is expected of this tree. You see, he who reads and he who studies and he who meditates upon God's Word, he who cannot be withheld from seeking God... He who is consumed in Him, He will certainly bring forth fruit. His fruit will not be untimely, but it will fall in its season. It will not ripen prematurely, nor will it fall too early. And His leaves also, they shall not wither. This tree is always green. It does not lose its leaves in the winter and then regains them again in the fall. And it does not just pull in some water sometimes to just sustain its life, to just barely live. That's not what this tree does. But this tree pulls in as much water as it can possibly hold within its trunk and within its limbs and within its leaves. This tree is a thriving and beautiful tree filled with much fruit. But I want you to know something tonight. This tree... This tree is not strong because of itself. It is not a fruitful tree because it is a fruitful tree. It's not the case. But this tree is strong, it is vibrant, it is alive and well, and it is fruitful because of what this tree is tapped into. The Word of God is what sustains this blessed man's life. The Word of God is what has sustained this tree. And this is the reality of what it looks like To be a blessed man. Have I described you this evening? Be honest with yourself. Have I described you this evening? Now I know that I have spent far more time talking about this blessed man than I will about this cursed man. And I think that's just fine. But I would be doing this text and you a great disservice if we did not look and consider this cursed man. Verse 4. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. 
Notice that the ungodly, quote, are not so. Are the ungodly blessed? Not so. Are the ungodly satisfied with God? Not so. Do they delight in His Word? No. Do they meditate upon it day and night? No, they do not. Are the ungodly planted by streams of water? Not so. They're truly the complete and absolute opposite of everything that this blessed man is. You see, they are likened to this chaff that the wind just drives away. In days before a week come, by, a farmer would have to take his crop high up on a hill somewhere where the wind blew the hardest, and he had to grind up this wheat, and he'd have to take it with something like a shovel, pitch it in the air, and let the wind drive out that chaff while the grain, which was heavy and had substance, fell to the ground. I want you to know also, on the day of judgment, the one who holds the fan in his hand will also be just like this farmer who is so eager and desires so much to separate that which is useless from that which is useful, that which is unfruitful from that which is fruitful. Verse 5, therefore, in other words, because or because they referring to the ungodly are useless, because they are worthless to God, they will not stand in the judgment. Now rest assured they will be judged for their sins, but they will not stand before the throne of Jesus Christ and receive an acquittal. It will not happen. They will remain seated for their condemnation. The ungodly will in no wise stand faultless before the presence of His glory. And on that last day, when we are all gathered together before the throne of Christ to receive our rewards, the sinners will not be regarded as belonging in the assembly. But rather, there will be no place found for them where the righteous cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What a terrible sight. Now as we close this study tonight, I want to close with these final thoughts. At the end of verse 6, there is a strong warning to the reader here. A warning for him and for her to ponder very carefully, to think very carefully about the path that they have chosen. There is a certain surety to them that walk in the path of ungodliness. Verse 6, they will perish. So please do not sit here tonight as if this sermon did not apply to you, that it did not have application in your life. This passage absolutely does, as all passages do. Because we have accurately described everyone in this world tonight to one degree or another. Some to a greater degree, others to a lesser. But nonetheless, we've described everyone. And the reality of this passage that we've studied together tonight is still this. There are only two types of people in this world. There are only two paths. There are only two eternal destinies. There is not a third party. You're either one or the other. So we must examine ourselves tonight and be very honest where we stand. Look into this mirror. Are you this blessed man or are you this cursed man? I want to leave you with four questions tonight to think on and to ponder as we close. Are you indeed completely and utterly satisfied with God or do you allow other things to try and satisfy you? Are you separated from the evil world system 
which God hates, or do you seek the things of this world? Are you saturated in the Word of God? Taking in as much as you possibly can, or have you just been waiting for me to stop talking? Does God sustain you even when life is tearing you down? I plead with you to ponder these things, to think on them through the coming days and throughout the rest of your life, that if you are not what is described here in Psalms 1 as an indeed blessed man, I pray that that troubles you. That the truth of what it means to be cursed and to be separated from God eternally might cause you to make some changes in your life. So that you might be that blessed man or woman of God. That He might know the way that you walk and that He may exalt you in the end. Tonight, if you are not indeed blessed and desire to be, you have not obeyed the gospel, but you desire to, tonight as we stand and sing this song, this is the perfect opportunity to obey God and to begin that walk with God and be blessed truly and indeed. We want to encourage you to do that tonight as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.